This is episode 177 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Kelsey Day. She's an SLP with seven years of experience in the acute care setting. She received her master's degree from Northwestern University, where she was trained in dysphagia diagnostics and video fluoroscopy by Dr. Jerry Logeman. She now serves as the lead SLP at California Hospital Medical Center, a level two trauma center and primary stroke center in downtown LA, where she supervises and mentors a team of nine SLPs. She specializes in dysphagia care for the critically ill, multi-trauma, and tracheostomy ventilator-dependent populations. Kelsey launched the FEES program at her hospital to facilitate early swallow intervention for the mechanically ventilated population. She currently serves as a mentor for the MedSLP Collective and guest lectures at California State University Fullerton. And I know you've all probably heard of Kelsey. She's been on this podcast quite a few times, and I just love talking to her, and I just love her way of educating and mentoring and you're going to hear in this episode um, all about a course that Kelsey and I created together called Clinical Writing for Dysphagia Diagnostics. And if you are interested in checking out more about that course, you can go to sypodcast.com forward slash clinical writing. That's sypodcast.com forward slash clinical writing to get more information about this course. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, my friends. Welcome back. Uh, just wanted to let you know quickly about the MedBridge promo that we have going on. If you are not familiar with MedBridge Education, they are a wonderful continuing education platform, and they also have plenty of other uh, things such as handouts and an exercise builder and things like that that are amazingly useful for medical SLPs. If you are interested in checking them out, if you go to medbridgeeducation.com forward slash SYP, um, you can get their premium education plan for only $95 and nobody else on the internet has this special rate except for SYP listeners. And the reasoning for that is that I do make a commission when you use that code and that money goes directly towards keeping the Swallow Your Pride podcast going or else I probably would have stopped doing this forever ago because it's a ton of work. So I'm always grateful to MedBridge for doing that. This promo code will be live through the end of the month of March. So you can either type in promo code SYP or go to medbridgeeducation.com forward slash SYP. But it gives you access to their premium education plan for only $95 for one full year. Uh, they have hundreds and hundreds of courses. Um, they're, they're recorded webinars, but they also do have live webinars. Uh, they have patient and family engagement tools, which are super useful. They have a mobile app that patients can use to log into, look at the exercises that you recommend for them. Uh, they have patient and family handouts that are very useful. 
Um, so just a lot of tools to help make your life as a medical SLP easier. And I'm always grateful for the phenomenal quality that Medbridge Education puts out and for their support of us here at SYP. So if you're interested in checking that out, it's medbridgeeducation.com forward slash SYP. Hello, Kelsey. Hi, Teresa. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course. I'm so glad to be back. Yes, we're so glad to have you back. So I'll tell everyone, pardon my voice. I have some horrible allergies going on right now, but other than that, I feel totally fine and I'm not dying, but sorry, this is what you're going to have to listen to today. So that's where we are. So, all right. Um, so Kelsey, tell the little bit or tell the people a little bit about yourself. I know you've, you've been on here quite a few times, but if people don't know who Kelsey Day is, she's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. That's kind. Um, so my name is Kelsey Day. I'm a medical speech pathologist practicing in the acute care setting. So I've been working in acute care for going on eight years now. Um, I love all things dysphagia, all things kind of trach, vent. I really specialize in intensive care. Um, so my patients are are generally very medically fragile, medically complex um, trauma patients. I work at California Hospital Medical Center, which is a trauma and stroke center in downtown Los Angeles. I supervise a team of nine SLPs in that setting. I also do mentorship with you through the Medical SLP Collective, and I love teaching some continuing education courses on the topics of dysphagia and trach and bed. Beautiful. All right. So the reason for this this little chat today is Kelsey and I have joined forces. Oh gosh, I think we started talking about this probably a year ago. A year ago, yeah. Um, and then obviously the pandemic happened, so it kind of ruined all of our plans to do it live in LA. But maybe we will at some point. But it actually was a wonderful thing, you know, if we can look at the silver lining of of the pandemic because Kelsey and I created a course together, and we ended up having to do it virtually, which was much more overwhelming than I think we thought it would be, but it also was incredible in that we were able to reach way more people than I think we initially set out to reach. Absolutely. I mean, I think our, our initial intent here was, you know, I went into this just talking with you saying, let's do a live in-person conference. It'll be so nice to teach, you know, clinical writing in that setting and have kind of writing workshops. Then this all happened. And I think it worked out for the best to be able to do it online because we got to like restructure those workshops into an online format. And a lot of people have been able to join us. Yeah, it's been great. So Anyways, um, so Kelsey wanted to teach a course about clinical writing, and I know I have my reasonings for wanting to help her put this course on, but I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about the background for it and, you know, where your idea came from and why this topic is important to you. Yeah, well, I think that it's obviously knowing, having good clinical skills at the bedside, having a good knowledge foundation is so important. We need to understand first normal swallow physiology. Then we need to understand abnormal or dysfunctional swallowing. And then we have to be able to translate those things into clinical practical skills that we can use at the bedside. So, okay, now I understand, you know, the concepts of normal and abnormal swallowing. How do I at the bedside actually identify patients who have dysphagia? And then what do I do about it? And then how do I communicate all of that in a way that our physician and nursing colleagues can understand? Um, And I think that, you know, until 
now until very recently, I mean, still, there's such a huge disconnect between our professionals, speech language pathologists who specialize in dysphagia, and the rest of the medical community in terms of how do we yeah, identify these patients? How do we work them up? How do we manage them? And I think that a lot of the issue comes down to, for some reason, as communication specialists, we have difficulty communicating our recommendations to the medical team. And you know, so much of that is because we don't receive any medical training. So we're tossed into very medical settings in acute care in ICU um, without the the same, you know, vocabulary and level playing ground, you know, as, as our colleagues. So there's so much continuing education work that needs to be done just to have like the prerequisite knowledge to kind of practice in this area. But then once you have that, I think we need to go a step further and have some sort of like formal structure for, for learning documentation and a way to professionally communicate our findings to the medical team and in a way that's consistent with how our medical colleagues do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of on the flip, flip side, you know, Kelsey works in hospitals and acute care and ICU, and my whole career has been in skilled nursing. And what's interesting and what, what I found is when I first started doing mobile fees and I was writing up these mobile fees reports, I just assumed that the people reading my documentation would be, you know, nurses, doctors within the facility. And I really did not, I, I did not realize how many administrators or billing people, insurance people would get a hold of my reports as well. And I think that was such a big eye-opener for me that not only am I speaking clinically to the medical colleagues, but I'm also speaking to these other professions that don't have as you know distinct medical backgrounds as some other people as well, but they need to be able to read the information and understand what it means and then help, help us to carry out those recommendations that you know, we're wanting for our patients. Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a good point. I mean, people think about, you know, who today is going to read my report, but don't really think it all the way through. And where is this report going then? Because it follows the patients for many, many years. People in many different facilities and levels of care after you will see that report. You know, if you work in a skilled nursing facility and you're the mobile fees provider, and then that patient's admitted to the hospital, those professionals see it. And then if maybe they discharge home and go have home health providers, they see it. Um, The patients themselves obtain their own medical records. They read them. Yeah, we have to be able to write reports that are professional, but understandable for all of those people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that I kind of came to the conclusion that it was important to talk about writing on its own because that's just kind of where I personally felt stuck. I mean, I would do all of this, what I thought was, you know, great work at the bedside. And then I would sit down to write about it and I just couldn't synthesize it. I just couldn't put it all together. I I would either write like a few lines that were like patient coughed and they throat cleared um, and they sounded wet, or it would be like an essay that nobody read in, in one big, like, paragraph structure. And I just realized, you know, as I started to gain more experience at multiple different settings, um, multiple, you know, acute care facilities, I saw how differently everyone writes in, you know, between facilities and even within facilities between providers. And I understand how it can be kind of confusing for our colleagues, you know, within our professional 
profession and outside of our profession because they, you know, they say a physician says, well, this speech pathologist gives me this type of information. But then when a different one is on, they give me completely different type of information. I don't know what to expect from you guys. And, you know, it goes the, the same thing's true for new clinicians, new medical speech pathologists. They have multiple supervisors. Sometimes they'll say my, this supervisor tells me to write this way. A different supervisor says that's all wrong. And I have to write it another way. And just like you know, the the goal, everything in our profession, I think we're trying to work towards more standardization, more consistency. Um, that's why it's so important that there are certain protocols out there, you know, like for video fluoroscopy, there's MBS, IMP. I think that's a great step for our profession. And I think it's helpful if we can kind of work towards a more consistent or almost standardized, not necessarily standardized, but just more consistent approach for documentation. And that, you know, I was out there looking for a course like that, couldn't find one. And then I was like, well, you know what? I've put many, many years of time into thinking about how how to write, not only how I've been taught to write, but like how I should write and just kind of revamped that. So we chatted and I was like, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think it's been maybe two, two years ago, I, I put on a conference for Uh, people that take my mobile fees business course and one whole day we spent on report writing and what, why that was interesting to me and why that was important to me was because I've had so many people come to me that have said, you know, I don't send my patient to that hospital anymore because, you know, the MBS report gives me no information or I don't use that mobile fees company anymore because the report isn't worth the paper that it's written on, you know, and that's so disheartening to hear Mm -hmm you know, that our own profession that, you know, these may be brilliant, wonderful SLPs, but just because, you know, like you said, they can't synthesize the information and get the right information down. Um, you know, now we're having to basically limit our resources even more than they already are limited. Right. It, yeah, I can't even imagine how, you know, heartbreaking. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, have some privilege in the acute care setting where I can recommend and then do my own studies. But I know that many speech pathologists are not in that situation. And, you know, they might be in home health or outpatient or skilled nursing facilities where they wait weeks and weeks and weeks to get a study for their patient. And they advocate, they fight, they finally get the study and then they get the report back and it's just not a useful report. And that's just devastating for everyone. And then to have to go back to administration and say, we need a new study because this wasn't adequate. I mean, it's, it's a terrible outcome. So we just, I hope that our whole profession can kind of level up in terms of our writing. Yeah. Stop shooting our own selves in the front. Right. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Are you trying to convince your administration to invest in fees or video strobe equipment? Or are you thinking about going out on your own to start your own private practice? Being able to calculate return on investment, doing a cost comparison, and presenting your findings in a professional way will be very important. It is not everyone's strong suit. PatCon Medical is offering a webinar series specifically for SLPs to learn how to do all that. You will learn step-by-step and you will get all the tools needed. The best thing, it's completely free. Visit patcommedical.com forward slash webinar to sign up. Okay. So talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the pieces that, you know, you talk about in your course, what are really the foundational pieces to write it? You know, what are the things that you really tell SLPs to break down that are important in in their reports? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, you know, so many SLPs maybe think like writing, your, your clinical writing starts after you've seen the patient, 
right? But I would argue that it starts before you see the patient. So your clinical writing process actually starts as soon as you start your medical record review. So the medical record review is such a valuable part of our clinical swallow evaluations. So it just starts there. So as you're reading the chart, you should be searching for any chronic um, risk factors for dysphagia that might predispose your patient to kind of have dysphagia. So examples might include like a stroke history, a history of a traumatic brain injury, maybe chronic diagnoses like myasthenia gravis or ALS or a head and neck cancer, right? So any chronic chronic medical condition that might predispose your patient to having dysphagia, it might not might not necessarily have caused dysphagia, right? But it's just it should be on your mind, okay? And then as you're reviewing that chart, say this patient's admitted to the acute care setting, so they're currently hospitalized, then you should be thinking, what are any now acute risk factors for dysphagia? So did my patient now have an acute stroke on top of a chronic stroke? Do they currently have respiratory failure? So are they very tachypnic? Are they on some form of supplemental oxygen that could be altering you know, their breathe-swallow coordination? Is my patient septic and delirious? Or do they have critical illness myopathy? You know, so many new medications that have been started. Um, so all of those things are maybe acute dysphagia risk factors. And then as you're going through that chart, you're also identifying signs that the patient might have had or might have a chronic or a pharyngeal dysphagia that's either diagnosed or undiagnosed. Because I frequently find patients, you know, who had a stroke a year ago and they never had a speech consult, and they were just ordered a diet and never had any dysphagia diagnostics, and they're admitted for pneumonia in a gravity-dependent lung zone. They're malnourished, and they're dehydrated, right? So all of those things would be signs that maybe this patient has a chronic, and you know, in this case, maybe undiagnosed, but maybe diagnosed and not properly managed, or a pharyngeal dysphagia. So yeah, things like that, recurrent pneumonia and gravity-dependent lung zones, malnutrition, dehydration, unintended weight loss. And then as you're reviewing that medical record, you're also looking for what are these patients, what, what is this patient's um, risk for developing an aspiration pneumonia? So, you know, if this patient does have dysphagia, and I don't know yet, I haven't, you know, seen the patient, but if this patient does have dysphagia, then what would be their risk of developing pneumonia? So is this patient immunocompetent or immunocompromised? Um, how, what is their oral hygiene status? And maybe you need to get in the room to see the patient. You know, you know, what's their age? What's their smoking status? Do they have lung comorbidities? Are they dependent for feeding or for tube feeding? Things like that that impact someone's risk for developing aspiration pneumonia. So you should kind of collect all of that data and sort it into those categories before you even enter the room. Awesome. Yeah. So then where do we go from there? Okay. So you have, you know, done your really thorough medical record review, and then it's time to do your actual clinical swallow evaluation. And I say that, you know, the steps of performing an evaluation are also part of your writing process because you can't write a good report if you didn't collect the proper data, if you don't have the proper information to document, right? 
um, you, you can't just throw in a bunch of flowery language and expect it, you know, to write itself. You have to have really evaluated the right things. So you want to make sure that you're interviewing the patient um, about their potential dysphagia symptoms. So open-ended questions. Are you experiencing any difficulty swallowing? Can you tell me about it? And then kind of follow up with more specific or targeted yes and no questions to kind of clarify. And we all know that our patients with dysphagia frequently struggle to describe their dysphagia um, or may just have poor awareness of it. So it might take a lot of probing and a lot of questioning to kind of make sure that we're on the same page. You want to gather when you're at the bedside a lot of kind of subjective information on things that might impact your patient's performance while they're with you. So their level of alertness, if they're on any medications that might be making them drowsy or just lethargic, um, what their current work of breathing is at the time you're visiting with them, what their mode of oxygen delivery is, what their pain level is, especially if they have pain while swallowing, um, what position that the patient eating in or being fed in. A lot of our trauma patients, for example, have very strict positioning um, requirements and can't have head of that bed elevation. And that doesn't necessarily mean we can't see them, but we just want to take note of in what position we're evaluating them. And then kind of once we do all that, then we're really going to kind of start to evaluate the patient physically. So completing a cranial nerve exam, a laryngeal function exam, and then, you know, determining giving some PO trials and then determining kind of next steps from there with the patient. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So I think, you know, one thing about Kelsey's course is that during it, we do like a clinical workshop essentially, or a writing workshop, I should say. Um, And I think what I love most about that is, is just knowing all of these things that you want to evaluate ahead of time. I think what you said about you know, writing the report backwards, essentially, is you know that you want to write about all these things. So it means you have to actually go and assess all of those. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so much more helpful too. You know, I know once when I was, you know, doing mobile fees all the time, I just knew in my head, there were specific things I was going to have to write in my report. So I better make sure that I check them out. You know, I think how many times have we evaluated a patient and then we go to write it up and we're like, well, crap, I didn't look in their mouth or no, that's totally exaggerating. <laughs> but, um, you know, you didn't look at something that we absolutely should have. So I think it's this beautiful marriage of knowing what we have to look at clinically versus what we have to report upon. And the more you do both, then, you know, things are going to improve simultaneously. Right, right. And I just think it's nice to just kind of have a more organized structure, just like a a cognitive framework going into it, because I think that's what I was lacking. You know, when I graduated, I just had all of these pieces of information and I just didn't have any organization. No one ever gave me like a really clear structure, which is just kind of what I needed. I don't know. That's, that's how my brain works. I just needed something, something really just thoughtful and organized and And yeah, I think that I was just, you know, always given so many examples. I would write something and they'd say, oh, no, that's bad. That's terrible. That's not what you should write. And I just couldn't get that. Like, okay, well, then where's the perfect report? Just like show it to me and then I'll copy it. Like, I just I just don't know where that is. And I'm not at all saying my reports are perfect. I'm just saying that, like, we just we just need some starting point. And, you know, new clinicians who don't have experience doing it and even clinicians clinicians with tons of experience doing it. Um, Experience, you know, in terms of years experience doesn't always mean that it's, you know, the right type of experience. So I just think that we need a starting point when maybe we as a field can say, yes, I think this is like 
something good. This is a good starting point. And then we can mold that as we, as we learn more. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, always think that any template that I provide in terms of clinical documentation for dysphagia should always be fluid. If someone, if some new research comes out, if someone learns a better way, a better, you know, bedside protocol, there's some new standardized tests that we can do at the bedside. Um, we should incorporate it. Right. And it, it should be fluid, but what you know we kind of present in our course together is just as we understand the world of dysphagia diagnostics right now what does best practice look like yeah yeah, and, yeah. yeah. beautiful i know a question that comes up constantly in the courses is okay so this is what i now think i should be writing but we use cerner or we use epic how how do i convince the people that i work with that i should you know, essentially not use the template that comes with the EMR and substitute, you know, what we now believe is to be best practice. Right. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the electronic medical records are built to serve medical professionals and clinicians. And anyone who works on that medical record, you know, in like IT department, they they want to help you. They want to help clinicians. They want your life to be easier with your EMR. So if it's no longer serving you, you don't have to keep using it. And I just think that's such a, you know, in, in healthcare, I feel like people just, there are so many protocols and, and things like protocols are necessary for patient safety. You know, we, we want to abide by rules and policies, but we also need to remember that we can revisit those policies. We can revisit those rules and as a team evaluate, is this still the best, the safest thing for our patients? Is this still producing the best quality? And if you go to your team and then your team goes to your administration or your IT and says, look, this template no longer serves us. As a team of professionals, we we don't believe that this is this template provides us space to write the information that we need about our patients, I'm sure they'd be happy to change it. I've definitely had multiple healthcare facilities change their EMRs to accommodate our new evolving styles of documentation. And it's not a problem. So good. Excellent. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what, for whatever reason, you know, SLPs seem to think that like, this is what we've been handed and this is what we have to deal with. And there's no fluidity there and there absolutely is. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, just, you know, I think it's just like a mindset yeah. shift for clinicians thinking I don't have to just accept the status quo. I don't have to accept what's been handed to me. I can constantly question, is this best practice? Is this what's best for my patient? And if it's not, it, it, it can go. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, so talk a little bit more about what else is in your course, Kelsey, because I think this to me is what is what sets your course apart from anything else that's out there is the amount of information that you give. And I'm going to to Kelsey's board a little bit here because she's put an exorbitant amount of time and knowledge and information into the reports that she gives to people that attend. So I think it's incredible what you've created and what you've given to clinicians. So thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I mean, in terms of what else is in this course, well, I mean, we just talked about kind of, I mean, we review clinical writing, but through the lens of, you know, real life case studies, real examples, real workshops. Um, we start by reviewing kind of documentation basics, what you need to be doing before and during your clinical solo evaluation, like what we just talked about. And then we kind of talk about, okay, now that you've done the proper bedside or clinical swallow evaluation, 
how do you put it all together? So what I offer is, you know, some, some kind of templates just to get started. And I always encourage, please don't just keep writing the same thing over and over again. I don't want you to be copy pasting, but it's just some, a framework at least to start with. Um, so kind of on how to consider the whole picture of a patient. So kind of templates for assessment sections of the report that'll say, you know, clinical signs of oral pharyngeal dysphagia in the context of X, Y, and Z, chronic dysphagia risk factors and X, Y, and Z, acute dysphagia risk factors, and then given, insert all of the patient's risk factors for developing aspiration pneumonia, it is critical that we do an instrumental swallow study before PO diet for this patient. Like whole picture things like that, that really just kind of justify what we want and what we recommend to the physicians. And I think that using those templates too, you just get such good buy-in from the medical team because they can see your rationale like all written out. And you can't argue with that. You're like, oh, I absolutely see why this is valuable, why this is important. So yeah, we just kind of give some formulas, some templates for writing whole picture narrative, you know, assessment sections of the report, and then some structure for providing recommendations, like kind of a numbered list of our recommendations, um, like prov- recommendations for instrumental swallow studies. So like fees or video or both diet recommendations, strategies to reduce dysphagia related aspiration pneumonia. Uh, referrals to specialists, treatment recommendations, and then any more continuing care recommendations. So that's kind of, I mean, how we structure the post bedside part of the writing content. Um, And then we kind of move into those workshops that you were talking about. So we do, I mean, this course, it reviews clinical swallow evaluations, video fluoroscopic swallow studies, and fees. And then we go through a clinical writing workshop for each of them with multiple examples where you kind of, we have, would you call it, Teresa, like that, like a hierarchy of, you know, support where we kind of like wean it down, you know, (laughs) start with like a lot of support and then it's real hands-on practice. And then we kind of wean the supports down until you're independently kind of writing that whole picture report. And yeah, so we do that for clinical swallow evals, for video swallows for fees. Yeah. And then on top of it all, we have a ton, a ton of um, resources that are available in like our shared Dropbox account. So we have, how many do we have now? We have a hundred clinical swallow evaluation sample reports. We've got 25 fees and 25 video swallows. Yes. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. I think it, it it's a beautiful progression of watching these SLPs, you know, they first come on and they're like, I don't even know how to write this first sentence or I, where did you even get that information? Or, you know, when Kelsey walks you right through it and then towards the end, they're writing these beautiful long narratives that are just very specific and it just paints the whole picture of, of the patient. And it's just, it's a really cool progression to see. So I think, you know, what you've done an amazing job of is just really helping these other SLPs feel very supported. You know, I, I think we kind of all have learned what we've learned and, and it, None of us have learned to be really good writers, but throughout learning these formulas and then with all the examples that you give and, and you really just give a really good, good template for how to 
write this stuff going forward. Oh, thank you. And I mean, I think that one of the best compliments we've kind of received on this course is when speech pathologists reach out and they say, wow, like a physician stopped me in my tracks to say, I read your report and it was so thorough. I've never read a report like that. I appreciate that so much. That was so valuable. And, you know, speech pathologists are reaching out saying they finally feel like valued and respected in their work. And they really are feeling like members of the team um, and that they're getting, you know, just so much more respect from physician and nursing colleagues. And that's so exciting. That's what we all want. Um, and I just think that it's unfortunate, but in healthcare, things move so quickly. Like you don't have time to articulate everything you want to say on a quick phone call or, you know, a quick chat in person. But when you can write it all down, then the person, the reader can take whatever time they have to read it all. And they can kind of get blown away. Like, wow, like this person knows what they're talking about. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And that just makes me so happy to hear that kind of feedback. Yeah. I think, you know, I hate to go to the dark side, but the reality is that, you know, we do have to write to basically cover our butts, you know, legally if something were to ever happen. And I think it's so, it, it's, it's relieving to be able to protect yourself in this nature. And I know that a few people have said, you know, oh, my reports have been reviewed by uh, you know, expert witnesses or have been, you know, reviewed by attorneys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they said, you know, I covered all my bases and everything they needed was right there. And, you know, that's exactly what we should do. You know, we shouldn't be terrified to do our jobs because of, you know, what might happen legally or what might come back on us, but learning how to do it so that you confidently can do that and confidently can do your job and know that you noted everything that, you know, they would possibly be looking for. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the more that as a profession, we kind of have discussions of what is considered the standard of care for our documentation. If we can all just talk about it and sit and agree, like, yes, this sample, this is a good example. If we can follow that, then if you get, if your documentation is called on for any way, you don't have to feel feel nervous. You're just like, yeah, go ahead. Bro. Right. Take, take right. it. Enjoy. Right. I did great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's just a relief. And, you know, I think that, you know, the more, the more you feel confident in like your writing ability in the way that you're, you know, presenting everything to the team, I think you're just going to be more like just happier and more fulfilled in your profession. And that that's the goal. You know, we want to like do good work. We want to show off our good work. We want other people to, you know, receive those good reports so that our patients can have the good outcomes that we want for them and, you know, go about our happy career life. Yep. Yep. All right. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we've got three more live course offerings this year. Um, so we've got May 23rd, August 14th, and November 6th. So those are the last three chances to take this live, I think. I think we're probably going to transition it to like an online recorded version after that, which... Yeah, I just think it's so useful to take it live, to have access to kind of the live interactive workshops, get called on, kind of get live feedback in the moment, and then participate in those Q&As. Yes, yeah. So we do have participants come on camera and, and you know, write out, their, write out their descriptions and kind of go through a little critique with Kelsey, and some will write them in the chat. So there very much is a live component other than just her blabbing for eight hours. So. Although I do also blab <laughs> It's good stuff. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. I hope this was helpful to everybody. And I know this has been such a great course and I wanted to actually sit down and talk about it because I know that we haven't really talked about it much on here. So yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Teresa. Yes. You're so welcome. All right. Okay. Have a good day. You too. 
download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.